let's start by doing this. Raise your hand. Now, listen, we're going to get real honest today. Raise your hand if you have at least one crazy family member. All right. If you didn't raise your hand, it's you. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, it's you. Uh, we all have that crazy family member. And if you're like, no, my family's pretty normal. They don't think the same about you. And so this Christmas with V1 Church, we're going to have fun. We're going to make some memories and we're also going to heal some memories. Can I get an amen? You know, I'm going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus today in Matthew chapter one, if you want to get your Bibles ready. But I want to start by telling you a story about a man named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. He's one of the most respected preachers of his day. He actually attended Yale at the age of 13, and he later on went to become the president of Princeton College. And so he was very accomplished. He had a wife named Sarah, and he married in 1727, and they were blessed with 11 children. Come on. Talking about loving each other. <laughs> Every night when uh, Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his 11 children, and then he would pray a blessing upon each one of his children. Uh, Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, they passed on a great godly legacy to 11 children. There was an American educator, his name was A.E. Winship, and he decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards about almost 150 years after Jonathan Edwards' death. His findings were remarkable when compared to another man from that same time period who is named Max Jukes. Max Jukes. So Jonathan Edwards' legacy, now when you trace it back 150 years later from the original uh, mother and father and 11 children, when you trace it 150 years later, one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, I got chills, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 pastors, and 285 college graduates. How, how do you explain this? Edwards was a godly man. He was hardworking, he was intelligent, and he was moral. And Winship, who did this research, actually said much of the capacity and talent and intensity and character of the 1,400 people that came out of the Edwards line was due to Miss Edwards as well. Because behind every great man is an even greater woman. Can I get an amen? amen. Max Jukes' legacy, though, on the other hand, was a little bit different because when you trace his family tree back and somebody did this, they realized that there were 42 different men in the New York prison system that traced back to Max Jukes. He lived in New York at about the same time period as Edwards and the Jukes family was originally studied by sociologist Richard Dugdale in 1877. Jukes descendants. So now you have this man. Can you see him? This is, this is Max Jukes. He was alive at the same time as Jonathan Edwards, but he was not righteous. He did not serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, he was a criminal. And when you study his descendants, you have seven murderers, 
60 thieves, 190 prostitutes. Man, I've so much anointing on this. 150 other convicts, 310 paupers. That means beggars on the street. 440 of them were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. And of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. I keep thinking about that scripture that says, I have given you the choice today between blessings and cursings. I keep thinking about that scripture that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is there anybody who's going to make a decision to say, as for me and my house? You know, these contrasting legacies, they provide an example of what some call the five generation rule. If you're taking notes, how a parent raises their child, the love that they give the values that they teach, the emotional environment that they offer, the education that they provide, the influence that they give to their children. It's actually a four generation that follows that, that will be good or evil. It's a five generation rule. What a challenging thought for all of us. If someone studied your descendants four generations later, what would you want them to discover? How many prostitutes or how many preachers? How many prophets? How many paupers or how many apostles and leaders? What do you want to come out of you? Do you want Edward's legacy or do you want Juke's legacy? Today we get to choose. Come on, it's an awkward family Christmas here at V1. But you're probably thinking, I didn't come from a family like Jonathan Edwards. Well, guess what? Man, I feel like crying this, through this whole sermon. I've been fasting and praying over this, this message series. I got good news for you. You're Jonathan Edwards. You're Sarah Edwards. You get to start. You get to break the curse. It starts with you. I want to read you some compelling statistics. More than 2 million fathers now are the primary caregivers of children under 18. It's a 62% increase since 1990. Single dads, we feel you. We're here for you. One in two children, this is a 50% rate, live in a single parent family at some point in their childhood. I mean, if we said that, that 50% of all children would die of malnutrition, wouldn't we start a campaign in America to feed every child so they don't die? But we are starving for the father's love. We're starving for the mother's love. And it, and it will never come to mo half of all children in America now. One, it's one in three children is born to unmarried parents. And watch this. This is so crazy. Between 1978 and 1996, the number of babies born to unmarried women per year quadrupled from 500,000 to more than 2 million. There is an attack on the family. In America, there is an attack that has been engineered by networks of demonic infrastructure to take dads out, to kill them prematurely, to feed them alcohol, to get them out of their right mind, shut off their frontal lobe and make bad decisions. We've got women who are medicating and taking every pill to make it through the day because there's been a breakdown in the American family and we are suffering the repercussions. The number of single mothers has increased from 3 million to 10 million. 
and I'm crying because I was raised by a single mother and I know what it's like to go through hardship and say, I wish I had a dad to help. And it used to be 3 million. And now between 1970 to 2000, it is 10 million and growing. My heart breaks. My heart breaks, but I got some good news for you. God is in the business of breaking generational curses. God is in the business of breaking generational curses. And whenever it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest. And wherever there's fatherlessness, there's going to be a generation of fathers that rise up. Whenever there's single mothers, there's going to be a lioness that learns how to roar on welfare and food stamps and impossibility. And they're going to say, it ends with me. Come on, let's look at Matthew chapter one. Now I'm going to attempt to read the entire genealogy of Jesus. So I want you to stay with me because we don't skip verses in the Bible. I am not going to raise up a church with a bumper sticker Christianity that's read Joshua 1.9, but never read Leviticus 1.9 or Numbers 1.9. Don't you be skipping, okay? <laughs> So now I'm going to do this for an effect. Okay. And if you want, if you want to go back to the first century, you can ooh and ah, and you can even gasp like you're on the Maury Povich show. Because when, when this would have been read out loud in a first century church, people would have went, no, that's how they would have responded. Okay, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's already scandalous. You missed it. Abraham is the father. Uh, what? This criminal Jesus, this, this Jesus that's disrupting all of our religious infrastructure, he comes from the line of Abraham. Okay, it gets crazier. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Like how some of you say salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boab, Boaz by Rahab. Everyone say, <gasps> And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David, the father of Solomon, and the wife of Uriah. Everybody say, oh, snap. Oh, snap. Okay, that's what they would have done. I'm being straight up honest with you. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, I'm not speaking in tongues, I'm reading the Bible. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of of Jokaniah and his brothers in the time of the deportation of Babylon. Can I keep going? Everything in the Bible is there on purpose. Don't skip it. Go deeper. And after the deportation of Babylon, 
Jeconiah and his father Sheltel, and Sheltel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abed, and Abed the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zodak, and Zodak the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathnan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Watch, profound revelation. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. If we were to think like first century hearers of what I just read, they would not be focusing on 14. They would be focusing on the multiples of seven. 42, not 14. Three sets of 14 is six sets of seven, which means when Jesus shows up, it's time for Sabbath rest. Humanity will now rest. We will not have to strive. It will not be, oh, It will not be your family line changing by your adherence to the law. It will not be your, I'm about to preach this. It will not be your family line changing because you went to enough counseling and therapy. It will not be your family line changing because you went to the gym and changed your diet. It will be the Sabbath rest that comes through Jesus that says every generation before you couldn't get it done, but Jesus got it done for you. You can't earn it you still don't deserve it the difference between max jukes and you is he didn't say yes to jesus but you said yes to sabbath rest i'm resting in what you're doing for the signorelli family i'm resting in what you're doing for the perez family i'm resting in what you're doing for the craniac family what i couldn't do for myself generations have passed and sabbath is here sabbath isn't a day it's a person homie No, we got to look at this, though, because God used cheats, liars, sinners, murderers, prostitutes to make up the line of Jesus. Some of you are comforted right now. You think that your family's awkward? Can you imagine the family photo? Matthew chapter 1 is the family photo of Jesus Christ, and it was so scandalous. It didn't make sense. Can I go a little bit deeper? It, It would have gone to show that through our weakness, God will accomplish his will. Let me say it again for the Instagram quote snatchers. (laughs) He takes our weaknesses and uses our weaknesses for his will. He takes our weaknesses. Any first century Jewish Jewish writer would have hidden the prostitutes from the genealogy. They would have hidden, they would have hidden the Gentiles who were not pure blood from the genealogy because to a Jew like a Pharisee and a Sadducee it would have disproved Jesus but they don't understand his power that's made perfect in weakness they don't understand how he takes the simple things of the world to confound the wise empires rose and they fell. The nation of Israel went from this one man, Abraham, his wife and a nephew to thousands of slaves in Egypt and then to a mighty kingdom, which was finally carried into exile, presumably never to be seen again. And then Jesus comes out of that genealogy. 
I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about where you came from. What if I told you that your genealogy has been waiting for you to show up? You're on a divine appointment. You're going to be the one. What if I told you you're the one? What if I told you you're the one? Come on, somebody. You would think that Matthew would be very careful to blot all this out, but he says we have to show them the imperfections because it makes the perfection of Jesus even more powerful. Somebody say, take a picture. You got to learn how to take a picture in every season because God's working out a bigger plan. Come on, check me out as a teenager. (laughs) This is me. This is me as a teenager. Check out this other picture of me. I finally tamed my curls. Let me show you. Razor Ramon. Y'all don't know about that <laughs> from the old school. I think that's actually lotion in my hair. Come on, y'all. Nobody believed I was a hood rat till you see a printed out black and white picture from the carnival and lotion up in your pastor's hair. We were this right here. I had dropped out of school at sophomore year. Uh, I had a girlfriend whose mom was the city judge of Hammond, which is a suburb of Chicago. She got me a job making $32,000 a year. And I spent what would have been my junior and senior year working 40 plus hours a week to financially provide for my family while my mom was bedridden with tumors and cysts. And, and, and that was my story. This is who you're looking at right now. And uh, I didn't know how it was going to work out. I had no promise. I got my GED my sophomore year, started college on a full ride scholarship because of my SAT scores. What would have been my junior year, never went to prom and was two years ahead of all my peers in college. I didn't even know anybody who had been in full-time ministry. I'd been preaching at this point for about three years already. Isn't that crazy to think about? Some of those were my best sermons, but I didn't know how it was going to work out. But you have to learn how to take a picture in every season because God, God will use every season. Can I get an amen? Because where you are now is not your final destination. The way that you look now is not the way you'll always look. What you're struggling with right now will not always be your, your struggle. If there were any crooked branches or diseased parts of Jesus' family tree, you think that Matthew would just delete them out, but he kept them in there. We've got to learn how to take a picture in every season and stop trying to delete it and put a filter over it and make it look better than it really is. The typical Jewish genealogy would not have shown what Matthew showed. And so my hope for you today is not that you become a good person. It's that you become a saved person. Oh yeah. I'm going to go deeper because religious people have made you feel like you can't show up because you're not good. But there's three women that are in this genealogy that were bad women, but they became righteous and a part of Jesus lineage because there was something in their heart. How many of you know that God is searching our heart? I want to look at these just briefly, and I want to tell you their names. First, we have Tamar, and this is in verse 3. And then we have Rahab in verse 5. And then we have Ruth in verse 5. And then we have Uriah's wife, otherwise known as Bathsheba, in verse 6. Three of the four were involved in adultery. If you've committed adultery, welcome to the genealogy of Jesus today. There's room for you. At least three or four were Gentiles considered unclean by the ancient Jews. Come on, I've been in Israel. I was sitting in a Shabbat 
uh, actually on a Friday evening, the first time I was in Israel, they were singing these songs in Hebrew. Matter of fact, the wife uh, of the family, she stopped singing the song and she turned to me and she said, this is so awkward. And I said, why? Because she said, we're singing a song about how we are the chosen people of God. And we're seeing, this is the first time our family has ever sang this song at Shabbat in front of a Gentile. And, and it, it's weird saying we're the chosen people knowing that you're not. And how do you feel about that? I said, lady, I said, actually you're wrong. <laughs> I said, and I be, and she had never heard this before. I said, you know, there's this thing called grafting. And you can actually take a branch from one species of a tree and you can actually cut it off. And then you could splinter that branch and you can put that other branch from another species in and tie it up. And if you come back, you will find that it's thriving because it can be grafted in. And I said, I'm an Italian. There's a story of a centurion soldier in the first century who was also an Italian. Come on. His name was Cornelius, but he knew that Jesus, that Jew was more. I begin to preach the gospel at her Jewish table in Jerusalem. And I said, and now I shouldn't have been a part of the plan, but just say hello to your crazy uncle Mike because Jesus grafted me in. I wasn't supposed to be a part of this, but I'm thankful for Jesus that grafted me in. And now I'm a partaker. We both share Abraham in our lineage. I know it's scandalous, but you can't count me out. Now teach me how to sing that song with you. Three out of four of the women in Jesus' lineage were involved in sexual sin. If you struggle with sexual sin, get grafted in today. Tamar is in Genesis 38. You could read this this week. She was the daughter-in-law of Judah, one of Jacob's sons, and very important person in the Old Testament history. She married Judah's son, Ur, but he died before she had a child. According to custom, she was supposed to marry her brother-in-law so that they would not be childless. But Onan would not give her a child. I can't tell you what he was doing. It's nasty. Go read it for yourself. The Bible's so entertaining. But Onan was nasty. So, And those, those who are laughing are the theologians. Um, again, according to custom, she was, she was supposed to marry Judah's third son, but he drug his feet and didn't give a son to Tamar. So this is what she does. She takes matters into her own hand. She dresses up like a prostitute, waits for her father-in-law Judah to come along. Then Judah, God's chosen man, hires her as a prostitute, sleeps with her, and then she has a child. And then when Judah finds out that his widowed daughter-in-law is pregnant, he's like, I can't believe she would do that. And then the truth comes out, it was you. You're the father, Judah. And the, yes, this is Maury Povich. <laughs> Mar, Judah, you are the father. He was like, I'm suddenly not as mad as I was. <laughs> Y'all think your family's jacked up? This is Jesus jacked up, awkward Christmas photo. But watch this. Because of her deception, she had two children, Perez and Zerah. And through them, the line of Jesus was kept intact. <laughs> what if I told you everything that looked random, everything that looked unintentional, God is working it for your favor. Okay, I gotta go quick. Next, we have Rahab. She's a Canaanite woman. Everybody go, oh. 
Okay, I just got to bring the context back. Remember, the Canaanites were the enemies of God's people who fought the Israelites every step of the way to the promised land. You don't sleep with them. You don't date them. You don't marry them. But this is in Joshua chapter two. We were just in Joshua chapter one last week. Not only was she a Gentile, but she was a hated Canaanite. And when the Israel spies went in to see how strong Jericho was, uh, and they stayed with her, she literally lies. So not only is she a prostitute, but she's also a liar. And as a reward for saving their lives, the Israelites spared her life when they destroyed all of Jericho. And then she gives birth to Boaz and she carries out the line of Jesus. So Rahab, the prostitute, Gentile, hated Canaanite, very skilled liar, also in the lineage of Jesus. Come on. Last but not least is Ruth. Her story's found in the book of Ruth. Thank you, Captain Obvious. She was a very good woman, but she came from a very bad pedigree. I cry because I think about where I come from. My dad went to prison for murder. I was chased, tracing my genealogy in lieu of this sermon series and just found that on my father's side, I just come from multiple generations of laborers, just common labor, which is fine. That's great. But their stories are filled with scandalous, you know, some of the censuses were messed up because they had a marriage that nobody found about. And then I found out about it when I traced their lineage, kids that nobody knew about. And when I think about Ruth, she was a very good woman, but she came from a bad pedigree. She was a Moabite woman. The Jews were forbidden to marry anyone that was not a Jew. But I won't, and I can't tell her a whole story. We don't really have time, but she showed incredible loyalty to her mother-in-law as one of the best examples of character in the entire Old Testament by her faithfulness, her loyalty, her integrity, and her love. She just wasn't a Jew. But she ended up marrying a Jewish man named Boaz. See how it all connects? But think about now you know Boaz's story. Don't you see how God was always at work? And then she gave birth to a boy named Obed, who is the grandfather of David and therefore an ancestor to Jesus. It was always, always being worked out by Jesus the whole time. What if I told you on your worst day, Jesus was always working it out? Come on, would you stand to your feet? I want to show you that from these broken, sinful lives, there are less than perfect people. Out of their questionable actions, God worked his plan to bring the Savior of the world. I want to show you when I was just 22, 23 years old. And when you see this picture, you know, you see a, a young father. I'm, Bella there is, is right there. Bella's here with me today. And that was Bella. And I was with her. And when you look at this picture, you, the picture tells you all the wrong information. I have a smile on my face. My eyes are a little puffy. Didn't get much sleep after Julie's water broke. That was disgusting. <laughs> I actually was headed to work and I gave her a kiss goodbye. And as soon as I kissed her, her water broke. <laughs> it's a true story, the timing of it. I was like, what is that? <laughs> That's a real story. I said, what is that? And she was like we're going to have a baby. And all of a sudden we, uh, we had Bella joy. Now at, right immediately after this picture, this is back in the day where they wouldn't let you stay overnight. I went home and 
I was washing my hands in the bathroom and I had one thought. And the thought I had was, when I held my daughter for the very first time today and she looked at me and I looked at her, I instantly loved her without any previous experience with her. I felt what it meant for the very first time to be a father that loves their children, knowing that, and then she, she was quiet. She was crying and crying and crying. As soon as she heard my voice uh, uh, in the midst of all that noise, she completely settled down. All the doctors were like, oh wow, she knows her daddy. I went home and I was washing my hands and this terrifying thought occurred to me. I don't think that my dad ever felt that love for me. I had a panic attack. I couldn't breathe. I went down to my bathroom floor and for hours I laid on my floor vomiting, covered in vomit. I couldn't even, I, something broke in my psyche. I had never confronted that trauma. I had never confronted that pain before. And what should have been one of the happiest days of my life was incredibly tragic because I was confronted. Once I got just a taste of what it meant to love my child, I realized that I never received even a morsel of that from my father. Then about a year later, you can see me with, with Bella and we're just on the floor. This is, she's becoming a toddler. And again, you see this picture and it just looks like a young father just, you know, rolling on the floor with his kid, just hugging his daughter. What you don't see in this picture is by this time, alcohol has its full grip on me. But by this time, I'm trying everything I can to not become my father, but I'm literally walking down the same path. I just look like an innocent 20 something year old father with his daughter, but the devil has come now to ransom me back. All the years of preaching and ministry, this is just literally weeks away from my wife leaving me. This just weeks from this picture, I'm gonna walk into my house, all the furniture is gonna be gone and I'm gonna be so drunk out of my mind that I'm gonna think Julie cleaned the house really well. That's what I, my first thought when I got home was, wow, she really cleaned the house good today. And when I sobered up the next day, I realized she was gone with my daughter. She couldn't take it anymore. She couldn't take it. As somebody who went from Max Jukes to Jonathan Edwards, come on, I'm gonna tell you that God is a generational curse breaker, but you have to make a decision that you're gonna confront every ugly thing in your life right now, that you're gonna look it in its eyes, and you're gonna say, as far as me and my house goes, I might have the story of Ruth, I might have the story of Tamar, come on, I might come from a place of irrepute, but I'm not gonna look away I'm going to face it. I'm going to face the reality of who I am so God can change who I am. And my story is this. Just saying, Jesus, I tried to shove it. I tried to hide it but I'm gonna take a picture of it and I'm gonna hold it up proudly and say, God, if you can do anything with this mess, go ahead and do it because this picture, I couldn't even look at the pictures that I showed you today. I couldn't look at them for years and years and I said, by the time I get up in front of my church, I'm gonna show these pictures to thousands because the next chapter changed the interpretation of the previous chapter. See, you can change the interpretation of your awkward family photo. Jesus, when he showed up in his genealogy of Matthew chapter one and said, I'm going to change the meaning of Ruth's story. I'm going to change the meaning of Tamar's story. And because I'm here, you'll have to reinterpret what happened back then. Here's what I want you to do, church, as we come to a close.
I, I know this is going to sound crazy. I'm daring every single V1 church member to take a picture with their family today. I want you to tag me. I want you to tag V1 church as you get ready to go home, as you whatever it is. But I, I'm challenging us to take and say, this is my awkward family photo because you are going to memorialize your testimony today. And many of you are going to look at this picture a year from now. And that picture is going to prophesy of the goodness of God. That picture is going to prophesy. Some of you are about to take a picture today of the sickest you've ever been and the sickest you will ever be because God is getting ready to heal you from this day forward. Some of you are going to take a picture today and some people are going to be missing from that picture, but there's going to be people in that picture a year from now by next Christmas. Come on, somebody, you don't feel what I'm saying in this spirit. Some of you have empty arms now because of infertility, but God is opening up wombs right now. And a year from now, your awkward family photo is going to include the baby of promise. Some of you right now, come on, somebody, some single people are saying, say me, say me, say me. Come on, God's wrapping up a process in you right now. What I want to do is uh, as we receive people for prayer, I know we have our prayer team coming up at every single campus right now. And here's what I want to do. In addition to taking a picture and memorializing your testimony, what I want you to do, if you need prayers to receive prayer today, we believe in opening up altars at our church. Amen. We believe in creating an opportunity by the laying on of hands. And somebody is going to pray for you today and say, you were Max Jukes, but you're about to be Jonathan Evans. Edwards. You were, come on, you were Tamar, but you're actually going to change your story right now. And as you begin to come up to the front to receive prayer, I want to pray over our entire church right now, because this is the shift. This is the change. Even by the time we get to our Christmas Eve services, some of your lost loved ones are about to be saved. I said, even Christmas Eve, they're going to come to punch their card. They're going to come saying, yes, I'll do my Christmas and then I'll do my Easter. And the Lord says, no, I'm shifting your genealogy. I'm changing your line. And some of you will not even leave 2023 before the Lord saves some of your family members. So let's begin to pray and let's fill these altars. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are doing something on the inside right now. You're stirring a desire. This is the season where we lay aside every weight and we begin to run. This is the time of holiness. This is the time of righteousness. This is the time for us to say no to sin and say yes to holiness. This is the time where we say, I don't want to be like those who came before me. I want to stand for righteousness. I want to be who God called me to be. And I thank you for shifting and changing entire family lines, Father, from the north, south, east, and west. Every country that's listening right now, every campus that's listening right now, we say it is done. And Everybody shouted, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's worship.